Hello, and welcome to episode eight of Back on the Grind. I'm your host, Pepe, and this week we're doing something a little different. My co-host, Folk Punk Dad, is actually on tour with his wife in their band, Blue Raspberry. So him and I were not able to schedule time to do an episode together. So what we're doing is we're airing an older interview that I gave one week before I went into prison. It's with a lady named Roe Clausen, who started an organization called Strong Prison Wives and Families. She did a lot of really great work. She was really supportive of me before I went in, and I was glad to have learned a lot from her and to do the interview I did. In the interview, we talk about how I was preparing for my release before I was even sentenced. We get into letting go of old identities, and we discuss the work I was doing to reinforce my relationships with my children and my wife so that they could withstand several years of incarceration. We talk about how it's not easy doing that work, doing the work of moving through and dealing with a catastrophe is really difficult and overwhelming. But it seems to me, or I know, that it's actually better to do that work than to kind of fall back and do nothing. Because we can make sure that even though a catastrophe is going to happen, we can make sure it's not worse than it has to be. And it could have a better outcome for ourselves and for the people around us, for our friends, for our family, for the people we love. Doing that work ensures that things are going to be the best possible outcome. And I hope that this can encourage other people. Chances are you're probably not facing time in prison like I was, but all of us face struggles in life. And I think we can learn to not be scared to show up for those struggles. And it doesn't mean it's easy. The struggles are hard. They're very uncomfortable. But if we can learn to show up and be okay being in the midst of that uncomfortableness and that maybe we can do certain types of work to help the situation unfold in a more beneficial way, it's worth it. And I hope you can find that encouragement in this. Enjoy this episode as I bring you closer to my life one week before I was entering prison. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to my channel. I have a very special guest today. His name is Pepe. I don't want to say too much about you. I want you to do the introduction yourself. So we met because you actually have a podcast that I would love for you to talk about when you introduce yourself and we'll leave all the links to everything below as well. But that's how we met because I was a guest on your podcast and we waited a while for us to do this video. So why don't you tell us who you are and then that'll be obvious why we waited and then we can go from there. So my name is Pepe. Um, that's my nickname. Uh, most people know me as that. Uh, my real name is Scott. And yeah, a while back, it's been about two and a half years now uh, since I was arrested on uh, marijuana conspiracy charges. And obviously, it led me into the criminal justice system. Um, I'm dealing with a federal case, so I'm facing federal time. And when I was first arrested, I was facing five of 40 years. And as time went on, people in the case cooperated, more evidence came out, and the charges were increased to a 10 years to life sentence. And obviously, this was all very life-changing and dramatic for me, for my partner, for my children. 
And I did my best to respond in the best way I could for myself, for my children, for my partner. But I also wanted to help other people in similar situations. You mentioned the podcast. It's why I started a podcast. It's not released yet, but I've been documenting my story, uh, interviewing other people who've been to prison and came out successfully. I've interviewed you and uh, other folks who have relationships with folks in prison. And, you know, I'm just really being uh, as honest and open as I could with my story to provide the best information and help I could to other folks who might be going through something that's similar. Awesome. One thing that I think you have been so, I mean, you're so amazing at so many things, but one thing since I've met you that you've been so good at has been preparing for release since before you were even sentenced, something that I've always preached to my community. And but I think you took that and you won the gold medal in that because before you were even sentenced. So what kind of brought you to doing that? How have you been preparing? What have you been doing? And how have you been staying so positive in doing all that before you were even sentenced? Yeah, well, it, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like it's easy because it wasn't. And I was definitely scared. You know, I've... Uh, I've done a lot and I'm proud of what I've done, but it was not an easy task. You know, one of the things, interestingly, that kind of really got me motivated on that path of trying to prepare for my release um, now was an interaction with my probation officer. I had just kind of mentioned that, you know, oh, I'm interested in in like being a coach, a life coach or a health coach in the future. But uh, I never went to school for that, and I wanted to. And I was concerned, though, if I started schooling now, that I would be sentenced and wind up in prison before I finished the schooling program. And she just made an offhanded comment, kind of like, you know, you shouldn't really give up on your dreams ever. And I kind of brushed it aside at the moment, you know. But then I, I actually reached back out to her and I said, you know, I'm taking serious what you said, and I do want to pursue this, but I'm afraid that I won't have time. And she said, you know, if you got sentenced before your schooling was done, I would actually request that the judge allows you to finish your school. And that did encourage me to take, you know, a big step, which was to enter into a one year uh, schooling program to be a certified life coach and health coach. And I had no idea how long I had left before I'd be serving time. So it was a big move for me to do that. Um, that was one of the things. And then the second was I was dealing with so much uncertainty and fear. And I, I really wanted to talk to other people who've been through this uh, on several levels. One, people who've been to prison themselves. And then two, uh, people who were in relationship with people in prison, because I wanted to understand what I was going to be entering into. And I wanted to understand the best ways to maintain my relationship with my partner. So I figured I'd start calling people and just talking to them. And I did it a few times, but I'm like, this is such a good uh, way to get information, I should probably record these conversations and create a podcast out of it. So I've done that and I've got about 20, 25 episodes of a podcast recorded already, uh, where either I'm documenting my story on half and the other half is talking to other people. And as far as staying motivated, you know, that's wasn't easy in the beginning. I was depressed. I was scared. I wasn't really doing much at all. I was like laying in bed, binge watching horrible prison shows on Netflix, which I don't recommend doing. But um, 
eventually I, I just realized I really need to show up for my children and for my my partner. I wanted my children and and my partner her to have the best experience that they could during all this. I I didn't want them to suffer any more than necessary. And I think if I kind of just gave up and was defeated and you know not showing up for them, it would have made this harder on everyone else that was around me. So that was a lot of my motivation was my children and my relationship with my partner. That's amazing. And most people that watch my channel have a loved one who's incarcerated. And I think that that's a lesson for both partners in the relationship because that's exactly what I did. That's exactly why I started my channel. That's exactly why I started Strong Children, Wives, and Families. And I once heard, and we're like cracking all the way with the life coaching and all that stuff. That is all me all the way too. And one thing I learned was take your struggles and get strength out of them and make them fuel your passion. And if you could use it to help other people, then it almost kind of gives a little bit of a purpose to that struggle. So I love that you're doing that. And you had mentioned your kids. And one time we spoke and you told me something that you were doing with your kids to prepare for prison. And I, I'm getting chills just talking about it. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I thought it was so genius and something yeah. that we could do too. Absolutely. Um, can I ask you, am I able to say a bad word on here? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I want to tell a little story before I jump into what you're referring to. And I, I kind of, I call this my box of shit story. <laughs> my kids have four cats and they have their chores around the house. And one of them is to take care of the cat's litter box. And no one likes doing that chore. And they always try and switch out of it whose chore it is. And one day they switched and they didn't really talk to their mom about it. And whoever switched ended up not doing it. And it just wasn't getting done. And there was this box of shit in the corner that was just not being uh, paid attention to. And then people just started avoiding that area of the house and avoiding that room. And, you know, at one point I realized this is kind of early on in my situation. What I was facing, my impending incarceration, I kind of created a similar situation where I kind of created this box of shit and we weren't really talking about it. It was like this thing that was just there in a the corner that no one really wanted to go near. No one wanted to touch it. No one wanted to deal with it in the beginning. And it was hard, you know, it's a hard thing for, for kids. I mean, thankfully, most of my kids are older, but I do have, uh, my youngest is 11 and she was 10 at the time. So, you know, I just realized that we need to start approaching this and talking about it, just like they needed to start cleaning up the litter box before it just gets out of control. So one of the things I thought that we could do as a family, uh, me and my kids and, and my girlfriend, we would all go out to eat for pizza every Thursday at some of the best pizza places in the state. And I'm in Connecticut and we're known for having some rather good pizza places. So we kind of picked seven of the best pizza restaurants around. And for seven weeks, every Thursday, we would go out, we'd sit down and have pizza and we'd have a conversation about what was happening, the situation we were facing. And, and it wouldn't always be a heavy, deep conversation, but it was just to get things out and get this flow of communication around what was going on. And then to make it a little fun for the kids, you know, I printed up scoring sheets for rating the pizza that rated everything from the crust to the sauce, to the cheese, to the toppings. So it was a fun event that everyone got together for every Thursday. We kind of went out together. We would listen to music on the car rides home. 
And, you know, it just really helped ease into a place where we can start talking about this as a family. Uh, I love that so much. And I guarantee this is going to become one of my most watched videos because anytime I see somebody avoiding, I'm going to send a link and be like, go listen to the box of shit story. Yeah. That is, that's such a great analogy, such a great metaphor. I live for that kind of stuff. I love it. And I just love how you approached it head on with the kids because so many people lie to their kids about this and we don't give children enough credit for being so much smarter than we mm -hmm. think that they are. And they know when we're lying. And what are you going to say? Daddy's at, you know, I, I don't know, wherever. They need to know. They need, it needs to be age appropriate, but they need to talk about it. And I love that you took that fear out of it. And you were there to talk through it with them. And so I, I want to ask a question that I didn't prepare you for. I'm sorry, but as I'm it's talking, it's, it's coming up. And we can edit it out if it gets uncomfortable. But majority of the people that are watching this, don't have time to prepare before. And I can imagine if from your perspective being almost a blessing and a curse at the same time. So walk me through what it feels like with this hanging over your head every single day, knowing that you have a countdown so you have to be gone for a long time. Yeah, in the beginning, um, I already referenced that a little bit. I was depressed. I, I gave up on trying to do anything for at least a month, you know, maybe a couple of weeks. And then I eventually got a little better, but I still wasn't motivated in the beginning. It was really hard. I had no idea. Like, it felt like my life was over, essentially. It just felt like I couldn't move forward. And that was one of the most difficult times for me personally, was initially after my arrest. But uh, as time went on, and like I said, I began to like, assign meaning to what I was going through and then doing things like the podcast or the pizza in prison every Thursday, I started to see I was helping the people around me. And that really helped me feel empowered. And it, it, it definitely made me feel I was capable of moving through this with a purpose. So that definitely helped with eliminating some of that fear of this impending date that was coming. But that's, you know, it's something that over time you get used to as well. This living in this state of like unknown limbo. Uh, it's it's really difficult at first, but you do get used to it. I and mean, if there's anyone else out there right now who's going through this, I would I would say, you know, one thing you have to remember is this might not sound true at the moment, but this all has an end date. Like there's an end date to it. There's an end date to your pre-sentence period that you're in right now. Uh, you know, whether it's pre-trial and there's an end date, you know, to this whole process for you. So that's really important to be reminded of that. That's something that I would tell myself quite regularly, you know, and knowing there was an end date, you know, that kind of goes back into a lot of the preparation I was doing to prepare for that end date. I love that. It reminds me of this story that I was going to tell this morning and I never got a chance to get, I was going to tell it on Instagram where I'm very athletic and I wanted to get in a workout before I drove six hours to where I'm going to visit Adam. That's by the way, while I'm in the car, everybody, I apologize. It was just a rough drive. So I didn't make it in time before this interview. And, but I, I took the workout beforehand. And part of my workout, I wanted to do 200 double unders, which is two spins of a jump rope for every jump. It's really hard conditioning. And then I was going to taper 200, do a run, 150, do a run, 100, and then 50, and then be done. So I was trying to do the 200, which is pretty taxing. 
and everything was going wrong. It was just one of those days. I kept tripping over the rope. I kept hitting myself in the head. There were bugs around. It was just one of those days. And so I said to myself, you just got to get through 25 at a time, just 25 at a time, and then you can break. And next thing I know, the 200 were done. I didn't stop at 25, but I gave myself little kind of little countdowns. And that's how, uh, what I got from what you were just saying. And that's how I get through this is you just check. You're right. There's always an end date. There's always something that you could check off. So even for people that have really long or life or got with death row sentences, which we do have some people who watch this, there's always something that you can count down towards. There's always something you could check down to, you know, like I have a life sentence, but I'm always counting down to my next visit. And what can I do to better myself before I get there? So you are one of the most positive people I've ever met. And for everybody watching, this has to be like our fifth or sixth time talking. And every single time you have been just such a ray of sunshine, so positive, and you're not just doing it for the camera, even before this interview, you just went through something today that was huge life-changing thing. And you're like, but we can still do it. No problem. And here you are being so positive. And I listened to a podcast you did with somebody else and you told a story about how your house burnt down and you found it so positive. I would love for you to share that story with the people watching this because it's just a story of hope and finding strength within struggles. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I was facing 10 years to life at the time and, you know, I'm thinking things probably can't get much worse than this. And then shortly after that, the apartment I was living in burned down and I lost about 90% of everything I owned. And, you know, that was a really life-changing event for me as well. I think that and my arrest were, you know, which both happened within a, a two-year time span. And, you know, the, a little side caveat to this was I was really worried about my stuff when I go to prison. Like, what am I going to do with all my stuff? And it was like kind of stressing me out quite a bit. So the fire kind of eased that, uh, that, that worry for me, you know, it was like one bright side of that. It was like, you know what? I don't have to worry about my stuff anymore. So that was like one bright side to the fire. But an another thing was I was really struggling with understanding who I was at this time. This was earlier on in my, after my arrest and, you know, all these identities that I had, you know, I, I was running or helping run like a really large marijuana business. It was a multi-million dollar marijuana business. Like we had an airplane that they found full of marijuana. I, I was charged with more than like two and a half tons of marijuana over a period of time. And I, that's what I've been doing for a couple of years. And that's who I was as far as uh, my job, essentially. And that all just came to a crash one day. And then everything was so different who, you know, obviously I didn't have that job. Obviously, even like who I was as a father began to change because I couldn't provide for my children the same way. I just, my relationships with everyone seemed different and I really didn't know who I was. And I was trying to let go of these old identities and I was doing fairly good with it. But I think, you know, mostly I did let go. And the only thing really left that I was holding on to was just my my apartment, my stuff, everything there. It was like the last thing in my life that was connected to this old way of living. So when the apartment fire happened, it really pushed me into this territory of, of discovering who I am now and who I'm becoming. And I think if the fire didn't happen, 
I mean, I would have probably still be struggling right now to move out of these old identities. It, it really kind of opened up into a new territory for me. And um, it's like the idea of the phoenix that kind of comes and, and it's burning. But out of that, you know, there's the birth of a new thing. And definitely the fire kind of helped me find, you know, the new person that I, I have become and, and still becoming. I, could it be any more literal of the phoenix mm-hmm. and coming at him? <laughs> That's just incredible. Your attitude and your perspective on life are just, you're going to be successful no matter what you do. One time I heard somebody talking and not that I'm glorifying what you did, not that I'm glamorizing what you did by any means. We all know that illegal activity is wrong. Everybody here knows that. But somebody that can be that successful, I heard this author talking. He's like, I, I am no different from somebody who, sells drugs. I, we're both entrepreneurs. We both run a business. So putting all of that energy and all of that positive now energy and that new focus into whatever endeavors you choose to move forward with, you're going to be insanely successful. And I hope everyone can take some of something from this where you are making probably really good money and, and you're just like, that's okay. We're going to be fine. I love it. So let's move into, I know you have a partner. And I know that it has to be really difficult for her right now. So tell me a little bit about how you guys are doing with that, how you're adjusting, how she's adjusting to this next phase of your life. I mean, it's an ongoing process. It's been about two and a half years since I was arrested. And I would like to say we've made a lot of progress uh, since then with learning how to deal with this in a relationship. Uh, we still have a lot of work to go, though, because this is such a monumental experience. And, you know, neither of us have any idea what it's like to be in a relationship while one partner is incarcerated. But, you know, just recently um, I was sentenced and I found out I was getting four years and 10 months. So after my sentence, you know, we we tried to maybe make things a little more concise as to how we're going to manage the relationship moving forward. And we actually sat down and went over some some questions together and wrote out the answers. And, you know, for me, I'm planning to print this out and bring it with me, but I can give you, um, you know, some of what I'm talking about. But for example, there was two basic questions that we asked. And they were pretty encompassing questions. The first question was, what things must you have in order to feel as comfortable as possible in this situation and the relationship itself? You know, and so we each made a list of what we think we're going to need while I'm incarcerated, you know, to make the relationship work. And for me, I mean, it's a great thing to have this list from her because I'm going to bring that with me and I can look at that every day. Okay, this is what she's saying she needs to be comfortable in the relationship. And this is how I can provide for her the best I could throughout my incarceration. And then the second part, the the question is similar, but on the opposite end, what are some things you must not have in order to feel comfortable in the relationship and under the new circumstances. It's a very clear way of understanding what we can both find acceptable and not acceptable and what our needs are in the relationship. That's amazing. And I hope that everybody here watching this that has a loved one incarcerated does that exercise because we always talk about how communication will get you through and open and honest and boundaries and all that stuff, but actually putting pen to paper. I just literally learn this today listening to a book on audio driving six hours where 
literally writing stuff out does something in your brain differently than texting or, or this kind of stuff like talking. So I love that you did that. That's amazing. And for everybody watching this, I would love for you guys to leave comments of support and tips or whatever you want to tell Pepe and his partner for how they can get through this because you've really been doing so much homework and studying all this since before you got sentenced and we're all here to learn from and teach one another. And really quick side note, when you told me how long you had, you told me a month. And even though I've been doing this for so long, I calculated it, <laughs> I calculated it 10 years and four months. So as you're talking, I'm like, oh, yes, that makes me so happy. <laughs> I remember, I was like, are you okay? I didn't really think you were going to get that much time. So whew, that's great. I mean, it's still four years and 10 months, but well, I was relieved. Yeah, no, I'm I'm actually relieved with it, too. Okay, you know what? I do want to mention one other thing with just regards to what we were writing down with relationship stuff. There was this great quote that I heard during an interview with a lady named Gabrielle Risi. I don't know. You might be familiar with her if you're into like the athletic stuff, but she was like a volleyball player and did a bunch of other uh, stuff. She's married to Laird Hamilton, who's like a, a famous surfer. But she was talking about her relationship and my partner and I, we, we wrote this quote down and it's something that we agreed that we're both going to print up and, and have with us and, you know, put it somewhere very visible. Me, when I'm in prison, I'm going to have it with me and her here at home. But, um, it was, uh, I don't have this all figured out. I would do my best today for her or him. And I would do my very best to be kind and loving today one day at a time. Ah. Uh gold that's gold i love that oh my gosh that's amazing i love that you guys are so on point you guys are going to be you're going to make it through this because of your attitudes alone because of your positive energy and because you've been doing the work since before you got sentenced i just can't stress that enough and for people that are like well too late for me it's been five years it's never too late but start doing the work now because too many people just sit she'll sit with the you know, the cover's over her head and she won't get anything done. She just wants to cross off days off the calendar. He'll sit at the poker tables or in front of the TVs and just kind of numb out on reality TV. And then you get out 10 years down the road, four years even down the road, two years down the road, and nothing changed. And so you can't understand why you're going right back to that same old life. So mm -hmm. something has to change in order for you not to get stuck in that revolving door. Because when you come out, the strikes are already kind of stacked against you. So you guys, I know, are going to be successful. I, I have zero doubt throughout incarceration and afterwards. So what did I forget to ask you? What do you want to leave everybody with? I don't want to keep you for too long. Well, I guess one thing I'll say is with all the work I've been doing and everything I'm trying to do with my partner, I do feel pretty prepared. But I don't want anyone to think that it's easy. Like, I'm not saying it's easy because it's definitely, I'm sure you've, you've been dealing with this for a long time. It's definitely not easy, but it's worth putting in this energy and the time, especially, you know, if, if your goal is to maintain the relationship, you know, throughout yeah. this ordeal. So, yeah. you know, like it's just, it's not an easy thing to do, but I think it's better than the alternative, which is to either run and hide or not do anything. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's not easy, but it's worth fighting for. And it's going to be rough in the beginning because it's going to be an adjustment for both of you. But the fact that you've laid this groundwork and also the fact that you're armed with those quotes and the exercises you guys did, it'll help. It's not easy by any stretch of the, the imagination. And it'll never be easy. We don't want it to be easy because it's it's got to be a little bit uncomfortable for all of us in this experience. 
myself included, to remember, I never want to do this again. But it's so doable with a lot of work. And I know that to both of you, your relationship is worth fighting for. Just like everybody watching this, your relationship is worth that work. Unless it's not. And then it's time to reevaluate it. But um, thank you so much. I can't thank you enough. When is your surrender day? October 16th. And I actually just found out last night I'm going to Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. Okay. Are you going to that the new um, the new one that they're is there a new one there or no? There's well, it's right now it's a maximum with a camp attached. And then okay. they're turning the maximum into a medium. I'm going to the camp. Nice. Okay. All right, cool. So how far is that for your family? Uh, it's about 200 miles. It's about a four hour drive. Um, I okay. was trying to be closer. I requested to be closer, but I'm, you know, I've talked to other people who made requests and they got sent like eight hours away. So four hours is manageable for us. I'm happy that, you know, it, it's somewhere that we can all, uh, all my friends and family can get to without having to make a two day trip, you know, in a car or something. Yeah. And then in 18 months, if you want to put in for a transfer, you could always mm -hmm. be play it by ear but yeah. i don't know if everybody knows that but in the feds every 18 months i think it is right you could put in for a transfer. i think so yeah yeah you know what yeah. else i'll mention too you had mentioned kind of uh being athletic and working out that was definitely something that was good for me as well i think you know if there is someone who is facing uh incarceration you know and they're out on pre-trial release like i am you know, having that routine of like getting up every morning and, and having a, a workout routine, that really helped me a lot with having some stability because you're facing so much unknown. And then to know, you know, just creating these moments of st stability, something you know that's going to ha happen and that you have control over is definitely worth doing. Like having, I, I guess it might, you know, be kind of corny and to have a morning routine, but it's definitely worth it. And for me, it helped me move through and uh, the exercising too, just moving your body, obviously, it, it does help with your mental state. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I'm just this cheesy because I say it all the time. And I think where it gets cheesy are like the gurus that want you to do 45,000 things in the morning before five o'clock. No, but just having something to do at mm -hmm. certain points throughout the day gets you out of bed and it gets you moving and it releases those endorphins. So I am with you all the way. People ask me all the time. I don't understand how you do it. And my thing is working out. So having that has gotten me through. And I, I encourage everybody to find their thing, whatever that is. If working out, if you dread it, if you hate it, fine. Maybe you like to write. Maybe you like to sing. Maybe you like to dance. Whatever it is, find your thing and make sure you're doing it as often as you can to keep you from the depression. Awesome. That was, that's awesome advice. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, you know what? And I'll, I'll close out unless you have any more, but I'll close out with, um, an interesting story related to working out. So, you know, I had a morning routine and I was just doing a basic workout at home and I, I never did like much cardio. So on the day of my sentencing, I was, you know, feeling like, okay, I'm, I'm approaching something, my sentence that I've never really dealt with before. And this was a brand new thing for me. And I kind of had this like urge or desire to do something else that I never did before. So I woke up at five in the morning, which is typical for me. And I rolled over to my girlfriend and I said, you know, I'm going to go for a run. And I never like go out for a run. I've never done that before. So I, I, you know, I got up at five in the morning and it was like dark out. I put like a little headlight on and I went running in the woods and through uh, a trail that I, I really like. 
And it just really helped me mentally. It cleared my mind on that morning before sentencing. Um, it was, it was such a, almost like meditative practice, like just running. And then now I've been running, you know, uh, four or five days a week since then. Ah, oh, amazing. I love it. So I know you said in the beginning about your podcast and it isn't released yet. When will it be releasing? Where can we find it? Where can I send everybody to go to sure. follow your journey? So I have a website that's about to be out pretty soon. Um, it's going to be preparingforfreedom.org. And the podcast is the same name, Preparing for Freedom. I don't have an exact release date for the podcast. It's going to be after my incarceration, though, for sure. And But everything will be up at the website, preparingforfreedom.org. Uh, you know, if people want to, for right now, reach out to me or connect with me, I do have a Facebook, a personal page. Uh, it's Pepe Scott Bodner. Um, they can look there if they want. And... Uh, just on a note on the podcast, I'm hoping if all works out, I'll be able to keep it going even while I'm um, serving time. I'm hoping once a week I can make a phone call to somebody and they can ear that phone call where I'll actually be talking a little bit about this journey and kind of some of the skills I learned with life coaching, adding that into it as well. Very cool. And I would love if if minutes and schedule and all of that permits, I'd love to have you back during if, if we could figure that out too so you could yeah absolutely bro you know honestly i would i would love to um stay in touch with the goal of uh helping other people maintain the relationships because that's important to me i mean yeah. i think there's so little information out there on relationships with an incarcerated person and like and for me you know you you have been like a gold mine of information and i really appreciate the work you do uh, you're one of the few sources i was able to find out there so, you know, and if there's ever a time we can somehow work together, you know, if people have questions and they want to know, you know, the perspective of a male who's in prison or something, I, I would be glad to offer that to your listeners any way I could. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we'll work out logistics after this, but I'm sure that you're going to get flooded with questions and requests and everything. And if we stay in touch, then I'll be able to do the release and all of that stuff. So everybody, make sure you give love to Pepe in the comments below and advice if you want to give you know what took, what helped you with your prison relationship or whatever I'm sure he'd be more than happy more than grateful um so thank you so so much we'll talk to you again soon yeah you know what can I ask you one thing of course so I'm, I'm assuming most of the listeners know your your story most of your viewers but some of the people who might be viewing who are friends of mine they don't know much about your story or, much, or about Adam would you mind for a minute, like just sharing some of that with people that might be coming from my network? Talk about myself. Of course, I don't mind. <laughs> Adam is serving a 213 year sentence in federal prison due to mandatory minimum sentencing laws. So he committed a bunch of robberies. He committed nine robberies. He robbed actually illegal establishments. Nobody was physically hurt during the commission of his crimes. But the way that the law that they sentenced him under is written is that you have to stack it one upon each other. So you can't run the sentence concurrently where you just kind of lump them all together. You actually have to run them one after another after another. So he had a gun in his possession. It wasn't brandished. It wasn't shown. It wasn't discharged, used, nothing like that. Still wrong, still bad, still deserves to do a bunch of time. But he got eight years for the robberies and then for having the gun on him. They charged him under a law called 924C. For the first offense, it's five years, again, consecutive. So it was eight 
plus five, which is 13. And then for every charge thereafter, it was another 25 lumped on top of 25 on top of 25. So it created this 213 year sentence. And Adam deserved, again, to do time. The guideline range for his criminal history points was zero to 20 years. Max, he could have done for the underlying crime was 20 years. But what they do with this law, the feds come in and they dangle it and they're like, you want to cooperate or do you want a life sentence? And that's what you did. That's what they did. And he was like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going to trial. They wanted him to quote unquote snitch on people he never even met, had no idea who, who they were. And he was like, I'm not doing it. And so I've literally had attorneys tell me that you get punished in the United States very often for going to trial. And that's what happened to him. So he's been incarcerated for close to 20 years. It'll be 20 years in February. And in order for me to figure out how to not get bitter and how to not get jaded and to put a purpose to this, because very much like you, I'm an optimist and I try to find the silver lining and everything. Otherwise, what's the point? I'm going to live depressed every day. What's the point in going through this with him? So I looked online one day because I just felt so alone. Nobody understood me, not even my own family. And I found nothing. And the things, the few things that I did find to support loved ones, specifically the partners of people that are incarcerated, were very living to the stigma, very glorifying criminal life, very glamorizing being with a bad boy. And I was like, this, I I could do better. If it's not out there, then we all need to do better. I'm going to build it. And that's what happened. And I created an organization, Strong Prison Wives and Families. That was in 2011. It was a blog at first and then social media pages. And then actually it was this, (laughs) this YouTube channel first. And then we incorporated as a nonprofit in 2015. And now as of 2019, we have over 100,000 members, because that just shows how much of an underserved community we are and how much we need that support. So I guess in a nutshell, maybe not because I spoke a lot. That's what I do. That's my background. That's why I'm here. And, you know, the reason I asked is there's kind of two remarkable things to your story. And one is your response to everything that that's going on, which has been inspirational for me. And then the second thing that I find remarkable, uh, not in such a positive way, is the insane failure of the federal prison system to hand out a sentence as it did in in the case of Adam. And it just really points to um, the lack of humanity and and unfairness within the system. And I just wanted to, those two things are both remarkable, one in a positive way and one in just a disheartening way. And I just really wanted to allow people that might be coming to your channel through my network to hear your story. Thank you. you. Thank you for that. Yep. And also just, just put it out there. It's been, like I said, almost 20 years. We're the closest right now that we've ever been to fighting this and getting it overturned because last December, 2018, a law called the first step Act, which I'm sure you're familiar with was passed. And in that law, they said from that day, it was passed forward. They're not allowed to charge 924C like that. They're, to charge it in the way that it was originally intended, which was you're charging that the first time, the first case was that additional five years. You have to do that time. You have to get out. Then you have to be charged on another case, a second or subsequent case. And that's where the 25 should kick in. They weren't doing that. They were misapplying this law. So they said, no, that's from this day forward, but they didn't make it retroactive, meaning people who are already incarcerated from that day prior weren't going to see any relief on this 
So there was a case that came through the Supreme Court that could potentially offer us some relief. And we're exploring a couple of other avenues right now that could potentially get us some relief. And of course, nothing is definitive. Nothing is set in stone. There's no time frame. But the attorneys that we're working with are pretty confident. They don't know when. They don't know how long it'll take because the wheels of justice, we all know, spin very slowly. But hopefully there will be relief in our hopefully near future. That's amazing. And I wish you both the best with it. Thank you. Thanks. So I don't want to keep you too long. Thank you so much. Um, And I am sure we'll be hearing from you again soon. Best of luck to you. I know you're going to be successful. I know I'll speak to you before you go inside, but I'm sure everyone's going to send you well wishes and I will forward those to you as well. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be on your channel. Of course. Of course. We'll talk soon. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that interview. At some point, I'm pretty sure I'm going to have Ro and her husband on this show. Her husband was actually imprisoned and had a sentence that was over 200 years. Um, That's right, over 200 years for a crime that had no violence, nobody was hurt. And it's a pretty uh, insane story. And anyways... I'm happy to say that he actually got out of prison. Uh, Him and Roe are living together now. And I would love for them to come on and share their story, which I'm pretty sure I can make happen. But other than that, I'd like to remind you all that we have a Patreon. We're doing a lot of work right now to up our Patreon game. So starting next month, uh, I'm interviewing John Warm on the first of the month. He's from the band Rent Strike. There's going to be some back-end content available with that. We're also going to have uh, some other kind of merch that we'll give people for free. we got a bunch of patches made for uh, Back on the Grind and some patches for Bandit Coffee Roasters that we'll send to people if they want them, if they join the Patreon. And every month there will be exclusive content, whether it's with people we interview or with uh, my co-host, Folk Punk Dad, and I. If you want to help out, you want to support the cost of this show, you want to get exclusive content, you want to have the opportunity to talk to Folk Punk Dad and I, please check out our Patreon and do whatever you could if you're able to support. You can find it at patreon.com slash backonthegrind. Again, that's patreon.com slash backonthegrind. And I just want to say, if you're going through something out there, difficult, a struggle that you're facing right now. I can relate. I dealt with it. I I was facing incarceration. In some ways, the two and a half years of fighting my case before I went to prison was worse than prison itself at times. And then the time in prison was extremely difficult. It was during COVID, which meant I couldn't even get visits from my children or from my wife. And there was times where I thought everything was falling apart and my life was over but that was because i was in the middle of a giant mess and when we're in the middle of a mess it's hard to see that sometimes there's a brighter cleaner future coming and i just want to remind people out there if you are in the middle of a mess that's not all there is there's ways to kind of clean up the things going on in your life and move forward to a better place so don't give up Everyone faces struggles. Everyone faces difficult times. And there's ways to move through them. And we're going to talk about those ways even more as we move forward with this podcast.